You know what? Today is a miraculous day. It really is. I, I, you know, I never thought I would see Daniel in a tie. <laughs> I, I mean, I want you to check this out for a moment. I, I didn't get the memo because Fred wore one today too as well. and I didn't get the memo at all. And, and, uh, but David, I want you to know we love you very much. You, you will always be a part of the fiber of this church and of our lives and what you've done. Uh, and thank you. Thank you very much. And God's got his hand on you. He's going to use you. Just be, stay faithful. Absolutely. Well, guys, I'm going to take today and talk about what it means to be in pursuit of Christmas. If you've got your Bibles with you, open them up to John chapter 21, 1 through 19. This is not a traditional Christmas sermon of such, uh, but it is, I want to I kind of bring us to a place today and really process, uh, you know, what, what, what we've done with Christmas and what that looks like and all those kind of things. So John chapter 21 1 through 19, if you have your Bible, and uh, they'll follow along with me up there in the Scripture too as well. So here we go. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to this, his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter Tom, uh, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Gal- of Galilee, and Zebedee's son, and the others... Of, of, of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. Sounds like a bunch of guys, don't it? <laughs> you can't go fishing alone. Come on, man. It'd be like hunting alone. Can't do that. We got to go with you. So they got their boat out. They went, went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore. However, the disciples did not know it, it was Jesus. Men, Jesus called to them. You do not have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Then cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did. And they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Therefore the disciple, the one Jesus loved, by the way, that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied the outer garment around him. For he was stripped and plunged into the sea. And but since there was they were not far away from the land, about a hundred yards, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net of fish. When they got out on the land, they saw the charcoal fire there with the fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter got up and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though they were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared, that is, after his resurrection, to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten the breakfast, verse 15, Jesus asked Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Listen to this carefully. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord. He said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, 
You know everything. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep, he said. I assure you that when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify of what kind of death he would, he would glorify God. After the saying, he told them, follow me. Now, guys, I think we would all agree that we've taken Christmas and we've made it something it's not supposed to be. Would you agree with that? Yes or no? So I don't want to take this morning, I want to talk about what it means in pursuit of Christmas. What have we made Christmas into that's not what the Scripture teaches? Well, first of all, Christmas is a pursuit of traditions, right? We all have traditions in our family, and there's nothing wrong with that. But is Christmas about the pursuit of traditions? Think about it. Look at this. Did you realize in the Ukraine, an artificial spider web, this is on Christmas, is, is put on the tree, and it's said to bring good luck. They're often included in the decorations of the Ukrainian Christmas trees in honor of folk, a folktale in which the poor woman awoke on Christmas morning to find her trim tree with webs of silver and gold. Look at the traditions. How about this one? Italy. Throughout Italy, a kindly old witch named La Bafana, who according to legend declined an invitation from the Magi to visit the infant Jesus in Bethlehem, delivers presents to children as she searches for the Christ child. A kindly old witch. Wow. How about this? Japan. The Japanese have absorbed many Western Christian traditions, including decorated trees, roast turkey, and mistletoe. For non-Christians, the Japanese equivalent of Santa, I'm not going to even try to say what that name is, but he's a Buddhist monk who bears gifts for children. And by the way, did you know, I also read in several places, that you know the number one thing they eat in Japan at Christmas time? Take a guess. Yeah, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They do. Think about that. Kentucky Fried Chicken. I knew. There's Baptists everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, here we go. Australia, Austria, I mean, look at this, Austria. No doubt one of the most terrifying holiday traditions hails from the Austrian Alps, where a figure known as Krampus accompanied St. Nicholas on his travels. The sinister demon-like figure carries a whipping rod and a sack for misbehaved children. Wow. Look how far we've taken Christmas. So far away from from a child, a father who incarnated himself in Jesus Christ as a child born for our sin. Look what we've done with it. How about this? Christmas is memories, right? How about this? You remember where this is? What is that? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I saw a sweater earlier, I think, back there. <laughs> Rudolph, there you go. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I remember that as a kid. Those little figurine things that they, they put on. We used to watch that on TV, yeah. How about this? Yeah, Home Alone. How many of y'all never watched Home Alone? You got to watch Home Alone if you hadn't watched Home Alone, okay? It's good. How about this one? <laughs> Elf, the greatest Christmas movie of all time. Take syrup and pour it. Someone gave us a big old bucket of, of fresh um, maple syrup the other day. And of course, Debbie got up yesterday and made us some waffles. Lord, I love that woman. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Yes, you know that part when he drinks the maple syrup. How about this? How about the, y'all remember what this is, don't you? White Christmas, right. I'm dreaming, that's right, of a white Christmas. Absolutely. 
How about this? Yeah. Yeah. Did y'all know, did y'all know that that was actually a Christmas movie? Yeah. You better watch out. You better not cry. Because Bruce Willis is coming to get you. You might die. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. How about this? The Muppets. Woo. Yeah. The Muppets. <laughs> okay, Kermit. Yes. I'm Miss Piggy. <laughs> all right. How about this one? Yeah. One of the greatest Christmas movies of all time. What's the name of it? Wonderful Life. That's right. So how about this one? What is it? Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. Love those old movies, don't you? How about this one? Yeah. Yeah. I got one question I would ask. How many of you, if you were dare to put your tongue on that pole, you would have done it too? Come on. They would have been cutting my tongue off. My, my, my mom would have come found me. I, she said, what are you doing? My mom, they dared me. I had to do it. Yeah, that's right. How about this one? Yeah. Charlie Brown Christmas, right? I got to love Charlie Brown Christmas, you know? That's right. Yeah. You know what that is. You know exactly what that is. Yeah. How about that? So Christmas is memories. Christmas is, is, is uh, what else I say? Christmas is what now? Traditions. And Christmas is also materialism, right? Look at this one. <laughs> Black Friday. When people trample others for cheap goods mere hours after being thankful for what they already have. Look at that. Look at that lady right here. Look at her. <laughs> I gotta have it. I wanna get it. I promise I gotta get it. Don't get in my way. That's right. And look at this. That lady right there. I know she's head of some WMU somewhere, you know. <laughs> she looks like it. Look at this. Get out of my way. I'm, I'm going to get me a shot. I'm, I'm gonna save $5. Yeah. Look at this lady here. She's falling. I mean, come on. She's, she's looking for the coupon. <laughs> yeah. How about this? The line for Target. Yeah. Yeah, look at this. Look at this one. <laughs> These are people that say, I can't, you know, I can't stand up and do anything in church because I would be embarrassed. But, oh, of course, I can wear hats like that and story and carry around stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> I just love it. Anyway, look at this one. Yeah, Christmas is all about love. Let's fight in the parking lot. You got my toy. <laughs> look at them. They're splitting them up, man. Yeah. <laughs> Ball cop. <laughs> yeah. Look at that one. In Walmart, man, he's calling them. I got him on aisle four. Yeah. Yeah. Black Friday shopper accused of pepper spraying others. Fred, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you shouldn't have done that. Man, they would have got it anyway, Fred. I promise you. That's right. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Did you know that they have a website? It's called blackfridaydeathcount.com. I'm serious. You can check it out. Not now. Don't check it out now. But it keeps up a list of how many people are injured and killed on Black Friday. Yeah. When you've got to have a website to keep up with it, Guys, we need repentance. <laughs> we need help here, don't we, guys? We need help for sure. So what is Christmas? If it's not all those things that we make it, what is Christmas? Well, I want to talk about finding God in a confusing world, connecting the dots between the cradle and the resurrection. Now, before we go forward with this, let me just take a moment and, and just, just tell you this. I think what we've done is we've made Christmas about, this little, about the little baby, and we've forgotten that he grew up. We've not made the connection between, you know, the resurrection, between Easter and Christmas. I mean, we have movies like Talladega Nights, where they pray to little baby Jesus, you know. And I mean, and we think that's because that's the form of Jesus I want. Well, let me tell you something. 
Jesus came as a baby because he came as a human being, fully God, fully man, for us. But he grew up. He grew up. How do we connect these dots? For instance, it all begins with the resurrection of the Lord. I told you last week that the song Joy to the World was actually written, originally written as an a, a, a Easter song, not a Christmas song. Look at the words. It says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The earth, let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare his room in heaven and nature sing. In heaven and nature sing. In heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while, while fields and floods, rocks and hills and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. The wonders of his love. Think about it. How do we connect the cradle to the grave? How do we connect that? And we begin to see Christmas in a different light of what the world says it is. Of memories and traditions and all these things. Well, Number two, how about this? Look what Peter did. How did Peter respond? Now, now, what do I mean? What did he respond to? Well, you know what had happened to Peter. Peter had denied Christ three times. Peter was this guy who, he kind of overshot himself. He, was, he thought he was much greater than he really was. And so what Peter would do often, he would open his mouth up. He was the one who said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. At the same time, almost just immediately right after that, he says something silly and Jesus says, behind me, Satan. Peter always wanted to have his say. Peter always, he thought higher of himself. And you can go through several times in Scripture where Peter messed up. But the final time that we see with that is when Jesus died on the cross for us. And and Peter was approached even by a a young woman, a young girl. He was intimidated by her. So what did he do? He said, no, I don't know him. I don't know. No, and he even cussed, the Bible says. Peter denied Christ three times. And so what here, here they are. How did Peter deal with it? He's out fishing. He says, I can't, I can't handle it. He's not unlike most of us. The first thing he did was return to what he knew. He fished. So what's our default? When we know we're not where we need to be with our resurrected Lord, this time of year when we talk about Christ, incarnate Christ, the, the, you, who, who he is, how do we respond when we come to this place of understanding that, that we're not really where we need to be with Christ. Somewhere along the line, we've misplaced our faith. We've misplaced you know, the truth. We've misplaced our passion. We've kind of lost it. Come on, let's be honest with you guys. How many of us hate Christmas time because it just takes everything away and drains us? What I want us to do is put the life back into Christmas because that's what Jesus came for. He came fully God, fully man. And if anyone needed life, it was Peter at this point. So he goes out fishing. Because that's what he always did, right? How do you always respond? What's your default? What do we do? What's your whatever moment? How do you respond to him? 
Then it all changed when Peter was confronted by Christ. Now I want to just take a moment. I'll read this, this to you. I know you probably can't read that up there. It's kind of small. I'll read that to you. But let me just explain to you what happened. Here, They're out fishing, right? And so they come close to the bank and it's a foggy morning and they see this figure there. And, and you got to know that Peter is so engrossed by who, what he did. He's so beaten down that, that even going fishing didn't change anything. Because he couldn't, he couldn't medicate his pain away. He couldn't, he couldn't wish his pain away. He knew that he had, he had basically turned his back on his Savior. So here he is, he's, he's thinking about all this, and then through the, through the fog he sees this, this figure. And after all that happens with catching the fish, he recognizes that's Jesus. So literally he's, he's stripped down because he's fishing, he, he throws his coat back on, and he jumps in the water. And the Bible says he's not too far from the bank. Look, have you ever tried to swim 100 yards? I mean, he... He swam in a hundred yards. He gets to the bank and he's standing there. And he, and he sees him, but he don't want to say anything. Because what do you say to the one that you basically denied? And he stands there. And then what happens? I love this. this is, they ate breakfast together, which by the way was the last, one of the last things they did. Before they took Christ away, he had the last supper with them. They ate together. They fellowshiped together. In that culture, you didn't eat with someone unless you were offering fellowship with them. So Jesus is eating with them. He's feeding them. They're having fish and loaves, which, by the way, is a pretty, it's a pretty normal meal, but reminds us, too, of John chapter 6, when they fed the multitudes with the fishes and the loaves. And they sit, and then what happens? Jesus, you, Peter, you know, has got to be nervous as he can be. And he's standing there, and then all of a sudden, Jesus walks over to him and says, when they had, had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, three things, by the way. I want you to notice that he denied Christ three times. Now he affirms Peter back three times. He says to him, Jesus asked him, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs. He'd already told him earlier in Scripture, you would be the rock. In other words, you would be what the church would be built upon. Jesus could see beyond the shallowness of Peter and see what he could really be. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. He said, then shepherd my sheep. He told him. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he kept answering that he still hadn't made the connection that he had denied Christ three times. And now Jesus was, was affirming him three times. He asked him a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. And I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you want. And what he's basically saying to him is, Peter, from this point on, you're going to follow me. 
That's what this is all about. You're going to follow me. You see, because what happened, what we should notice is this. Peter was desperate and broken. He was finally moldable. You know, I love what Jim, Jim Simbola says. He said, I discovered an astonishing truth. God is attracted to weakness. Cannot resist those who humbly, honestly, and desperately admit that they need him. What's Christmas about? Christmas is a reflection of the fact that we cannot save ourselves, right? We can't. We can't save ourselves. We've sinned. We're not, we can't be laid up as a sacrifice because we're an impure sacrifice. We'll be like John in, in Revelation chapter 5 when he's laying on his face weeping before God because he's before total holiness and he cannot get up and go and take the scroll out of God, the Father's hand on the, on, the, on, the, on the, you know, he can take it away. Why? On the throne because had he stood up, he would have been obliterated because he was a sinful man. Jesus wasn't. Jesus had never sinned. He was in his resurrected state, fully God, fully man, physical. He resurrected physically. He overcame death. I want to ask you a question. This Christmas, how desperate are you to know God? How desperate are you to connect back to the child that is born in this time? How, can, how desperate are we to connect the dots between the cradle and the grave? And that this child who came, he came for our sins. We like to keep him as a little baby sometimes, I think, because it just looks so cute and so nice. And yes, he came as a little baby, but he came for a purpose and a reason. His purpose and reason was fulfilled when he went to the cross for us and he died for us. And when he left death in the grave, when he resurrected, because he never sinned. That's what this is all about. What we need to become is desperate and humble. We need to recognize Christmas is not a time Look at me, guys. Listen to me carefully. Not a time to seek what we want, but a time maybe to realize that he should be the one that we give the gifts back to. Look at me. What does he want? He wants us. Completely, totally, fully, he wants us. How do I know that? Because Peter spoke the magic words. That third time, he got frustrated, and Peter finally said this, Jerry, he finally said it. He said, Lord, you know everything. Guys, those four words changed his life. Four words changed his life. Right after this, what do we notice? Jesus says, you know what? You know what's going to happen? This is the way you're going to die. You know how he died? He died on a cross, most traditions believe, upside down. He said, there's going to be a day that you spread out your arms. He says it right after this. There's going to be a day that you spread out your arms and you're going to die. Why? Because Jesus knew the moment he finally, Peter said, Peter wasn't trying to look for another answer that Peter could answer better than Jesus. He was finally willing to say, God, I'm done. I'm through. This is it. Lord, Lord, I, you know everything. In other words, God, you are Lord. I am not. You are Savior. I am not. You resurrected. I did not. Lord, you know everything. It changed it all. 
Guys, had Peter not spoken those four words, he would have never been the preacher in, in, in Pentecost. He would have never been the one in, in Acts chapter 3, standing up before all the, 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 the folks there preaching and the man healing the man who needed to walk. In Acts chapter 4, in front of all the religious rulers who could have put him to death at any time, he would have never been that man had he not spoken those four words. Lord, you know everything. I think we have a Christianity that says to people, we've created this in our culture that says, Lord, you know some things. But we're afraid to say, Lord, you know, look at me, everything. Because what that says is, is that we're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as, we're not that. The only thing that makes us great is Him shining through us. That's what the Scripture teaches. They'll let their light so shine because He is the light to shine into darkness. And we are the conduits to shine that light. Lord, You know everything. You know more than my feelings. You know more than my anger. You know more than my opinions. You know everything. Boy, we, and I'm going to say this, guys, I've been a Baptist all my life. My mama says I've been a Baptist six months, I mean nine months before I was ever born, okay? I'm surprised. I mean, seriously, I came out of the womb, you know, just with a chicken leg in my hand. I am a Baptist to the core, all right? I am. But you know what? We Baptists sometimes think that we got the answers for everything, don't we? Every one of us got opinions, and we think those opinions should matter, I want all of us to say this right together right now, those four words. Let's say them right now. Come on. Lord, you know everything. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Lord, you know everything. Now look up to God and say, God, Lord, you know everything. We're not nearly as smart as we think. Guys, you know the reason why we're not humble and broken? It's because we're still worshiping ourselves. Come on, we buy presents. We go into debt for a whole year to buy presents for each other when it's not even our birthday. We've made it something it's never supposed to be. It's so supposed to be a celebration of the incarnation of our only hope, Jesus. It's supposed to be a celebration that we do have hope in Christ. Our sins can be forgiven. That's what it is. It's not about us. The moment Peter says, Lord, you know everything, everything changed. Can you say that in the face of God and walk out of this building today and practice life every day? Letting that be your mantra. Lord, you know everything. Not me. I couldn't fill up the nets with the fish. You did it. I couldn't resurrect. You did it. I couldn't die for the sins of a world. You did it. Because Lord, you know everything. I love this. Finally, here's the Christmas principle. Life begins when you don't, do not care if you die. You just care that Christ is glorified and his gospel is proclaimed in life and in death. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about, you know, the, the, the administration stuff that we do in churches. It's, 
It's not about anything like that. It's not about our, our, our institutional things that we have. It's not about materialism or traditions. Even though there's nothing wrong with traditions, as long as they're good traditions. Now, when you put on a witch outfit and a demon outfit, start chasing kids around trying to scare them, we're going to have a problem, okay? But traditions, that's okay. I mean, you know, uh, we have a tradition at Debbie's mom's house that she, she always make, makes macaroni salad because it's the best macaroni salad anywhere. And we don't have turkey at her house. We have steak. Thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, God. We have traditions, don't we? We have traditions of what we do. And Come on, how many of us have, have, have little ornaments we put on our tree that have been there? Do you know the best thing I ever did for Debbie? I've never told you all this. The second Christmas, we were in seminary. We were busted broke. We didn't have $30 in our bank account. And I thought, what am I going to get her for Christmas? You know what I did read? I went to Michael's. Yes, Michael's. Think about that, Michael's. My neighbor took me. She helped me pick out an ornament set that you cross-stitch. Imagine that guy dancing doing that, okay? That's what I did. I sat in the chair for about a week, hid it from Debbie. Debbie can tell you, we still have them. And I put those ornaments. When Christmas came, I gave her something I made. She cried. Those ornaments, ornaments have become so important that my girls are going to have to divide them out when we die. Because it meant more to her that I didn't just order it, pick up something, but it was in our house, that's part of our tradition. But tradition's okay. Materialism, no. Because I look around here and I see most of us are hugely blessed. All of us are, probably. But think about it. Life begins when you do not care if you die. You just care that Christ is glorified and the gospel is proclaimed in life and in death. How do we connect the cradle from the grave? I love what Revelation 12 says. It says, Then I heard a strong voice out of heaven saying, Salvation and power are established. When did that happen? Through Jesus Christ. Kingdom of our God, authority of his Messiah, that's who came at Jesus. This puts all this together. That, that everything's established because Jesus resurrected. He came as Messiah, as a little baby, the cradle to the grave, to the resurrection of our Savior. The accuser of the brothers, that is Satan himself, and the sisters was thrown out. He accused them day and night before God. But I want you to look what it says. It says they did what? What's that word there? They what? Did what? Turn to your neighbor and say, defeated him. Through the blood of the Lamb, that is, the price that Christ paid on the cross. And by the word of their witness or their testimony, look around you at how many more people are here today because you practiced the word of your witness over the last two weeks. You went visiting. You called people. You made this a regular part of your life. You took those cards and you invited folks. Guys, our witness is powerful because our witness reflects that me in a sinful state can be reborn in the image of God and my life can be transformed by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our witness. What does it say? And that they weren't in love with themselves. They were willing to die for Christ. 
connect the cradle to the grave. We're not in love with ourselves. It's all about him. And what does he say at the end of John? He says, as my father sent me, so send I you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as we get ready for the invitation. This morning, maybe you've never received Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you, maybe you don't know Christ. Maybe you've just, that day has never happened. Maybe you have, but you've not, you've, you've not made that You've just not made that decision yet. Maybe you've not followed through in baptism. Maybe one of the greatest things you could do this Christmas is to surrender your life to Christ. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ came. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He, fully God, fully man. He died for us on the cross and he resurrected fully leaving our sin in the grave. He died for us. Do you believe that, yes or no? If you do and you've never followed through and fully committed your life to Christ, just do it right now. Just write where you are. Just tell Jesus to confess that you're a sinner because that's what separates us. Just tell him, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. And Jesus, I, I need you to come into my life and forgive me my sin. Just tell him that. Tell them you're willing to repent, that is, to turn away from your sin. And that you want to receive him as Lord and as Savior and as Master. And that this Christmas you want to receive the greatest gift that's ever been given, Jesus Christ. The resurrected Savior. The one who came in swaddling clothes and lied in a manger. And the one who went to the cross for us. The one who stood beside that seashore with Peter. And simply said, Peter, feed my sheep. The one that Peter said, Lord, you know everything. Are you willing today to commit your life fully to him? Maybe you've been putting off joining the church, and now today is the time that you finally need to step out and say, we want to be a part of this fellowship. Whatever it is, maybe you're hurting this morning. I want to invite you to come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and I'm going to ask you to begin to play on the piano. And we're going to sing an invitation song here in just a moment. And then as we stand here in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray this morning that we would make the connection between the cradle to the grave. The connection between the little baby that was in the manger, who lived a perfect, sinless life, who spent three years ministering on this earth and healing and touching people's lives and never sinned, who was beaten and spat upon for us and who said profoundly, it is finished. And the grave could not hold him, praise God, because he never sinned and he resurrected, overcoming death and leaving our sin in the grave. That Jesus, that resurrected Jesus stood beside Peter and the disciples on the seashore that day, Father. And he proclaimed that it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. And then he says to us, 
so send I you. God, you've done an amazing thing today in this church. You've reminded us how important it is to touch other people's lives, to speak to them, to reach out to them, to not let anyone fall through the cracks through daily life. You've reminded us, God, that if we will be faithful, you are faithful. So, Father, today, if there's anyone here that needs you, I pray, God, that you will draw them with your Holy Spirit, and they will come right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand and sing right now. Come on. Let's sing.